This morning's scripture comes from Matthew 5:17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. Good morning. Everybody well? I assume we're all good. Straighten my rug. All right. So um, just, you know, there's like lucky things you do, like a baseball player before, you know, you got to put the things on. You got to straighten the rug. Okay. Um, So this is our passage today. This is, to me, one of, those, one of the most widely and wildly misunderstood passages uh, in Scripture. It's the words of Jesus, and people read it, and, and they take it the actual wrong direction that it's meant to go in because we lack diligence in scholarly work in Scripture. And so I'm going to try to do this for you today. This is, there's, it's just a huge idea, and, and there's a framework that is required um, that you must build at the beginning of this thing before we head off into every subsequent passage after this because every chapter after this hinges upon your understanding of this passage. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do what I can to help you understand it. I, I hope that I will do it right and adequately. And um, people always get mad when I, when, I, when I go to these passages and I, uh, and I sort of tell you, actually, it's, it's not that at all. Um, the entire way I've, I've read this passage until I was in my early 30s, I'm in my mid-30s, uh, late 30s now, um, the entire way I read it up until then, um, at some point, after studying enough context, it dawned on me like, oh, that was absolutely backwards. Um, this was absolutely influenced by this sort of American Christianity kind of thing. That what Jesus is doing is something else. So we're going to talk about that today. So let's take a moment and let's pray um, for understanding and wisdom and all of it. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, we first off are thankful we receive the gifts that you've given us. We receive our life, our breath, our, uh, our shelter and our food and our clothing our friends and our family, we receive it all. It's a gift. We are thankful. Uh, we offer up praises and thankfulness to you for allowing us to be here, gathered as your people in your name, um, as your body, um, living in sort of this mini kingdom of heaven in this place. I ask that you would show us exactly what you have for us to know and understand and the way you have for us to live. I ask that you would this morning push us forward, allow us to um, broaden and open up, um, expand our understanding of you, uh, of ourselves and of each other. Um, I lift up all of the things that people have brought in here this morning, lots of heavy burdens, lots of fears, lots of things they're excited about as well, um, lots of unknowns and changes, and I ask that you would help us to right now, we recognize and affirm they exist, and we ask that you would help us to push them aside so that we can be present here with you basking in infinite love, um, realizing that 
that who we are is not what we do, who we are is not the things we accomplish, or even how moral we are. Who we are is, is creations of yours made in your image to do your work in this world. Um, and and our, your love for us is not dependent upon how successful we are um, in any of that work. But it's constant and it's flowing. Help us to receive that and affirm that. Thank you, Father. Speak through me. Um, thank you for allowing me to do this. It's a gift. Thank you for gathering people here so that we can do this together. Uh, al- allow me to speak freely and clearly to remember the things I've studied this week. And uh, thank you. In your name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Um, when Jesus enters onto the scene in the first century... Um, no prophet had spoken to the people in 500 years as they saw it. There was no message from God until John the Baptist. Nobody had stood up and said, um, God's doing a new thing and here's what it's going to do. Here's what it's going to look like. And nobody had, had spoken like this as a prophet in 500 years. Um, and in that time, things had gotten pretty weird in the Jewish faith, in the people of Israel. Uh, they had taken... The Torah, the ancient book of, of the law, and they had spent a lot of time um, trying to figure out um, if there is a way that they could move throughout their day without committing a single sin, because this theology had arisen where they believed somehow that, that if somehow everyone could purge their life of sin and everyone could live perfectly in the law, the kingdom of God would rush in and overthrow Rome and they would be free from their bondage to Rome, and they would rule. Um, And this was the theology that they were living by. And so they invented this new thing called the scribe. And the scribe had one job, one particular, incredibly important to them job, and it had to do with the Torah. The scribe's job was to open up the Torah and to take a law that was there and to open it up and to define exactly how you are to live this law out. Um, and these details that they would write into these explanations of these laws were so incredibly minute. The details, it was so detailed um, that they were going to make it so that you could move through your day and not possibly sin if you just did all of these things. And so you would wake up in the morning. Here's the prayer you pray when you wake up. After that, here's the clothing you put on. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it's made out of. Um, here's how you walk. Here's how you lace up your sandals. Here's where you lace up your sandals. Here is when you walk into your house, the door of your house, here's the prayer you're going to pray. When you use the bathroom, there's a prayer you're going to pray. When you shake hands with somebody, when you greet somebody, there's certain words that you're going to say. Um, and we're going to lay your entire day out for you. If you have to give money, here's how you do it. Here's the words you say. Here's the method in which you will give. And here's how much you will give. Everything will be known and you will know that you are at peace with God. He's not angry with you. And together we can live in a perfect society where we are all happy just reading our little daily lists of things we're going to do and we'll just go do it. You won't have to think about anything. You'll never have to actually wrestle with God, even though Israel literally means those who wrestle with God. Um, you'll never actually have to mentally uh, exert any effort whatsoever. We're the scribes. We're going to do this for you. This is going to be a religion and there's nothing for you to do except read this and do it. Got it? 
Um, and so you have these little laws that, that go like this, like you must keep the Sabbath day holy, and on that day, no work is to be done. You would think that's pretty self-explanatory. It's a day of rest. But people have questions. There's, all, there's always that annoying person that's like, um, teacher, um, what is... Um, what does it mean um, to work? Can you define work for me? Because I don't want to accidentally work. He's like, how could you accidentally work? Well, I'm a cook at a restaurant and, you know, I make sandwiches. And if I'm home and I make a sandwich on the Sabbath for like myself to eat, did I work? Maybe I did. Or like, what if you're like a pastor and like your kid asks you a question uh, about God? Can I say like, look, I can't talk to you about this today. (laughs) This is the Sabbath. God has commanded me not to talk to you about God because it's Sabbath. Um, and, and what about, okay, no, that day no work is to be done. What if I like don't finish the work? What if I like sew all the way to the very end and I just kind of like tie it off and not like finish sewing it? Like leave a little piece open. Is that okay? And so the scribe's job was to write down and pick apart and lay out for you exactly how you are to keep this command. I'm going to read you some actual things that they came up with. Okay, this is in an book, ancient book called the Mishnah. It's from, um, I'm reading this from the, the, um, the Babylonian Talmud. We'll get to there. You'll know what that is by the end of this. Okay, now it goes like this. So we're defining work. Um, work is, uh, they defined work as basically you're not supposed to carry a burden. And people ask, what is a burden? What does that mean? If I'm carrying clothes, I'm carrying these right now. Am I working right now? And I'm like, that's a, that's a great question. Is he working by wearing clothes? Um, so, so they define burden as like, here's what you can carry. Food equal in weight to dried fig. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Milk enough for one swallow. Honey enough to put upon a wound. Oil enough to anoint a small member. Water enough to moisten an eye salve. Paper enough to write a custom house notice upon. Very specific. Ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. And read enough to make a pen. Now... Very detailed. This is what you can carry. Like milk just enough for one swallow, which raises questions. An African swallow or a European swallow? Because <laughs> it matters. They can carry different weights. Um, and then you have, what about, so read enough to make a pen. If I'm walking and I'm wearing like the tunic and I'm walking and I cut across the yard and there's a reed and it breaks off and it gets caught on my like, dress thing, and I'm standing there, and I look at my friend, I'm like, bro, look, there's a reed. I'm carrying a reed. Do you think, would you say that this reed is big enough to make a pen out of? He's like, uh, maybe like a small pen, yeah. I think you're guilty. That's, I could write with that reed that's stuck on your, on your tunic. Um, and then you're guilty, and you're like, oh, God's angry with me. I've set all of Israel back. Now God's not going to come. Like, this is what they were doing. Um, and so there's this, there's this uh, theologian, William Barclay, and in his commentary on this passage, he writes this. So they spent endless hours arguing whether a lamp could or could not be lifted from one place to another on the Sabbath, whether a tailor committed a sin if he went out with a needle in his robe, whether a woman uh, might wear a brooch or false hair, uh, even if it was permissible, or even if it was permissible to go out on the Sabbath with false teeth or an artificial limb, or if a parent might lift a child on the Sabbath day. These things to them were the essence of religion. These things were the essence of religion. These things. Like... Religion at one point in time, we've talked about this, re-ligio, the word for ligament, it used to be a communal 
work of binding things that were broken and separated, where we would come together and we would ask questions like about maybe resurrection questions. What is dead and broken that we can pour life back into and bring back together? What is it that is, um, that is separated that needs to be put back together? Um, we are communally going to be a community that's, that's set aside um, to bless the world around us. And so if we're going to bless the world around us, this is a communal aspect. That used to be religion, moving towards people, mending things. The essence, by the time Jesus walks onto the scene, the essence of religion is, you think that reed's big enough to make a pen out of? I think I broke a law. How did we get here? And it didn't even end there. Um, There were these laws about writing because you're not allowed to write on the Sabbath. That's just what you're allowed to carry. There's rules on like writing on the Sabbath um, and they defined, literally defined writing as writing more than two words per page and writing anything which makes a permanent mark. So you, they would, if you needed to write something, they would write two words, flip, write two words, flip, write two words, flip, write two words. That seems like a lot more work on the Sabbath than actually not trying to work on the Sabbath. Like, it seems like more work. And then, um, because you couldn't write with anything that makes a permanent mark, you could literally write with fruit juice or with water, um, not grape juice, that stuff stains, uh, that's permanent. Um, you could write with uh, your finger in the dirt, which you see Jesus doing at one point in time, um, and suddenly that makes sense. Um, and there's, so there's all these stipulations and all these rules about what you can and cannot do. This is what religion had become. And, and guys, that's just, that is one commandment. That's just the Sabbath. So the scribes wrote and wrote and wrote and laid out how you are to live your life, how you are to take every step throughout your day, what you are and are not allowed to do. And they wrote it down, and it was oral tradition until about the third century, and then they wrote it down in this, in this book called the Mishnah. Um, the Mishnah, if you actually translate it to English and you print it out, it's about 800 pages. Um, and then, so, so the Mishnah is like this commentary on the Torah, the law, and then the Mishnah is how you like live out the law. And then they weren't, there was more work to be done because the scholars in the third century and beyond started writing about, okay, so here's how we're going to interpret this stuff. Um, and so they wrote these things called the Talmuds. Um, in the Jerusalem Talmud, uh, there's 12 volumes on the 800 pages. Um, in the Babylonian Talmud, there's 60 volumes on the 800 pages on the, five book, uh, on the Torah. This is out of control. This is what we do. And you listen to this and you think, well, that's just crazy. I'm glad I'm a Christian and we don't do this. Of course we do this. Come on. Like I, I started my biblical studies um, at, in, I was like, I was like 17 when I, when I, graduated high school, went um, to a particular school and studied biblical studies there. And it was, it was a program that was set up so that you only study the Bible for a year in this strictly concentrated Bible kind of way. There's no other classes, anything but, but like biblical studies. Um, and you in-depth study every book of the Bible. Um, and there were these rules, like, like Mishnah-level rules, all right? Um, and they defined everything from how long a woman's shorts could be, fingertip length, by the way, um, how long a man's sideburns could be, bottom of the ear, no longer, or you're in sin. Um, and uh, a, a guy and a girl couldn't be together, like in a car alone. You had to have what's called the third wheel. Um, and um, 
premarital sex was not permitted because they were afraid it would lead to dancing, and dancing's <laughs> forbidden. Um, and there was all kinds of all kinds of rules and laws. You couldn't have music in your dorms. You couldn't have cell phones. Nothing. Um, and there were these laws. And I asked, you couldn't have a beard. I've been making up for lost time ever since. I, you couldn't have a beard there. And I asked, I asked the founder of the school. At one point, we were having dinner somehow. We ended up there. And I was like, hey, do you really think it's wrong to have, for a man to have a beard? He's like, yes. Like, okay, get it. Um, you could have a mustache, though. But in the 90s, who wanted a mustache? Nobody. It's fine today. I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. Um, <laughs> Brad Pitt killed it. So there's that. Um, these rules, these are what we do. And so it's, and, but quickly what you find out when you're put under a bunch of rules is like there's ways you can obey the rules while breaking the rules. Like there's ways where you can completely ignore what they were intended to accomplish and break them um, and, and therefore like suffer no consequences because technically you're still obeying the rules. Um, and it wasn't just that. It was also in the program itself. There was these tests that they would give. And I quickly find ways around a lot of the rules. I mean, it wasn't complicated. Um, there was this one test that they would do every Monday. They would do this scripture memory test where we would memorize these massive swaths of scripture, like, like the entire book of James. Um, and we'd be tested on it. And, um, and I learned pretty quick, like, that's really hard. That's a lot of work. And so I came up with a scheme that um, when it came time to do the test, you got points per word, however many words you got right. And so I'd pull out a piece of paper and I'd write... The, the, shall, a, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Anything that I thought would be in the Bible, in that passage, I'd write every word I could think of down, and then the other student grading it would go through and like, yep, that's in there, that's in there. A lot of work for them. That's in there, that's in there. Literally zero work for me, and I'd usually end up with like a 72. (laughs) It's not hard to pick Bible words. Um, and, And then there's this other test where they... They wanted to grade, like, your spiritual health. But nobody wants to look at you and be like, like a 35. <laughs> um, nobody wants to do that. So they would make this test and to give it to you. And then it suddenly became a test of integrity. Um, and so the spiritual, like, sort of integrity assessment, it was 10 questions. And you would grade yourself from 1 to 10 on how forgiving you are, how gracious you are, how much integrity you have, how... Uh, like how loving, you know, how diligent and stuff like this. 10 questions. And the last one was like honesty. And so I found, I did some math and I found that I could give myself tens on everything and then a one on honesty. (laughs) And I get a 90. (laughs) And nobody else has given themselves 90s. I win. So, (laughs) now we can all admit that is not the point of any of that. Is to win... The point of it to me was like, pass the test, get the diploma, move on, all right? Get the job, whatever, and here we are. Um, But, (laughs) what am I talking about? What is this? The point of all of this, of this school and all of this, was actually, it actually had a purpose. As I look back, I realized the purpose was to just give you like like a monastery, like a place to just wrestle with God for a while with no distractions and, and nothing else going on so that you could like find your center and figure out um, your identity and, and God and all this. Um, but what it really became for all the students and the staff was like a cat and mouse game of like, you broke a rule, here's a demerit. If you get 120, you're out. 
And so you just somehow needed to not get that so you could graduate. Um, Missing the entire point. So this is, this is my comparison for like what was happening in the first century when Jesus enters into the scene. There are laws that these people are following to keep out of punishment, to just get this one particular thing, like have a day where they all live the right way, and then they can overthrow Rome. There's, a, there's a, like a, it's like a reward punishment system, and this is what they're doing. And they, this, their religion used to be this, again, this communal world-changing thing, a blessing to everyone, and now it's just like ticking off rules on a piece of paper. Now, I want to read you this. This is the start of today's passage. Yes, that was the intro. Okay. Um, It says this in verse 17. I'm going to work 17, 18, 19, 20. I'm going to work just straight down through them and, and open this up. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you read that in modern day Western Christianity, English, and you're like, Oh no, this is about rules again. Like Jesus is doing what the Pharisees are doing and the scribes are doing. And now he's coming to tell us to obey all the rules. And so now we're all guilty. That's actually not at all what Jesus is doing. There there is culture and context behind these ancient phrases. This one had a particular meaning that took place in the synagogue. There was this way of talking where they 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 would sit once a week in this giant square and the rabbis and the, the basic the scholars of the day would sort of facilitate conversation. They would bring up a passage of scripture and they would read it out loud, a law or whatever. And the, the, the students and the people, the Jewish people would take turns standing up and saying, um, I think the intent of this law was this. And as they laid it out, what they believed the intent of the law was, the scholars in the room would be listening. And if they completely missed it, and we all know you, it's easy to take the Bible and twist it and turn it into something that is oppressive and terrible and harmful to the world. And if the people did this with the scriptures, with the, with the law of God, they would listen to this person and they would say, you have abolished the law. You missed it. You absolutely got it wrong. It's out of context. It's, it's, it's completely missing the point. But if a student were to stand up and say, I think the Sabbath... Um, the point of the Sabbath is to teach us and to remind us that who we are does not come from what we do. It's not what we accomplish. And so we are going to take a day and we're going to stop and we're all going to be at peace. Even the animals aren't going to work and the whole world is just going to stop and be at rest and be at peace and pondering the fact that the love of God and the blessings of God are still ours even though we're not working and accomplishing even though like the love of God is still coming down upon us, even though we're just sitting still doing nothing to receive it. And it's this spiritual message about shalom and peace and being a human being, not a human doing, right? Like having the love of God poured out upon us while I do nothing to receive it. And that this should be our existence. If you are working, there should be a time when you pause and say, but that's not what life is about. Life is about being and receiving and understanding who we are. Um, And then the rabbi would stand up and said, you, my child, have fulfilled the law. You have fulfilled the law and the prophets. You understand exactly what the law was for. You see, the law was not something to be obeyed. The law was something to be understood. There were these, there was these laws like the Jubilee where every 50 years all debt would be canceled and all property would go back to its original family owners. Um, 
this was a huge thing that the people would talk about and they would celebrate. And the whole idea of this is that like, we are not here to become indebted to each other. Life is not about gathering land. Life is about living in community. And, um, but literally there's no evidence, scholarly evidence of any kind that the people actually ever practiced Jubilee, that they never actually did it, but they taught it and it was important to them. And so they had this relationship with the law that is unlike anything that we had today, but by the first century, by the time Jesus came, it had been completely perverted and ruined. And so when Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What he's saying is, I didn't come here to get this wrong. I came here to get this right. I came here to correct everything that has gotten this thing off the rails. I'm here to fix this. I'm not here to be like the scribes and Pharisees and the other rabbis. I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to get it done right. Um, and so what we're talking about here is a transition from obedience to intentions. There's obedience to the law. You can read the laws and just obey them. It doesn't accomplish anything. If the law says that shall not kill, there's a lot of things you can do to people that won't kill them. If the law says don't commit adultery, there's a lot of really hurtful things you could do in your relationship that are not adultery. Um, if for every law you can come up with, there's a lot, of way, a lot of ways that you can sort of break the law without really breaking the law, right? Um, and so this is about, what this is about is, is the word, the written laws becoming flesh, the word becoming something written upon your hearts that you are living by. You're going to rise above the, the literal interpretations and reading of the law. And you're going to say, what was the intention of this law? Why did this law exist? Where was it meaning to take us? And are we there? If we have arrived there already, then we're going to move to the next law and read that one. Um, and in a way, we are fulfilling these laws and we're moving on and we're rising above them. The ever ex- sort of expanding understanding of all of this, of the scriptures. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, um, there is the next verse here, verse, uh, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So there's some words here we need to define. There's the word iota. We use this word today. Um, uh, in regular language, people say not one iota. Like, uh, we mean like not even a little particle or piece of it. This, that, that phrase comes directly from this passage in the Bible, from the words of Jesus. Um, it, it comes from the idea of an iot. An iot is a, is a Hebrew apostrophe. It's just a tiny little strike on the page. Um, and then you have dot. The word dot uh, is really referring to this word we have today for serif. Um, I chose a font for the word serif that has what's called a serif, right? These little lines here, okay, um, that sort of like tripods, which kind of like this, like they hold the letter up. That's what it's spent like. It's like a sturdy font, right? Um, it's not going to fall over. And like the rest of these, these are what's called sans serifs. Some of you are like, oh, I've been selecting fonts. I'm like sans serif. I don't know what that is. That means no serif. All right. So um, these are serifs. And so basically what Jesus is saying is all of the laws, everything written, it's like a, it's like a, a deep like Hebrew slang that Jesus is using. Like everything that's been written is important and is there for a reason. And then he says this, and it's all important because he says um, it's all going to be accomplished. The word accomplished is this Greek word ginomai. Everyone say ginomai. 
So it means uh, to become or to arrive. It is a destination. It is a journey that, that you have gone on and you are here. And you can look back and say, oh, things look different from here. You see, there is a way to understand, um, make sure I'm not uh, getting off point here. Um, there is a way to understand these laws that they are meant to take us somewhere. There is sort of, be, sort of an, ex, an expanding. As the Jewish people followed these laws, things began to open up and they began to change. They began to become more loving and more gracious, um, a more merciful people. That's what the law was intending to make them to. Um, and, and eventually, um, this thing would sort of point them in a direction. In other words, the law is not the vehicle that takes you there. The law is sort of a, sort of a benchmark. It's sort, of a, it's sort of a road sign where you look back and you say, yeah, here I am. Where you can look back and you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to think about these laws. I don't need to like concentrate on any of them. I don't wonder what they mean um, because to me it's no longer about fulfilling and like doing each tiny little piece of the law. Now it's about the full intention of the law. And since now I know, I understand who I am in God and that the earth, um, the earth can be at peace um, and that my, it's not working that earns me the love of God. Um, I understand the point of the Sabbath. I no longer need the Sabbath. It is rising above these things. Um, Dallas Willard writes about this place that the world's going to come to. Dallas Willard is this amazing theologian who died a few years back. Um, he wrote this amazing epic book called The Divine Conspiracy. And, uh, and he says this. He says, a time will come in human history when human beings will follow the Ten Commandments and so on as regularly as they now fall to the ground when they step off of a roof. They will then be more astonished that someone would lie or steal or covet than they are now when someone will not. The law of God will then be written on their hearts as the prophets foretold. It is taking us somewhere. There is a future reality, a kingdom of God, which as um, our, our forefathers of Christianity foretold, like it's, it's, this, it's this already but not yet. Like we are a part of the kingdom of God here. This is like a micro sort of expression of the kingdom of God where we take care of each other um, and we live at peace and we're forgiving and open and honest, um, that this thing would spread around the world is the goal, where the world eventually, and N.T. And, and Wright in, in his new book, um, what is it, uh, The Day the Revolution Began, he writes about this and, and he sort of talks about how um, we look at the world today and we see people saying things like, well, we don't, I mean, why do we need Christianity? I mean, we, we serve the poor and we, um, we have public schools and we, um, we take care of each other. We have hospitals and we have all these things. The days of Christianity are gone. And, and what people don't realize is none of those things would even exist if not for the work of Jesus and the work of the Christians who awakened the people to these things from our understanding of Jesus and his understanding of the law and him revealing the work of God to us. And so there's this thing, even though um, they are recipients, they are being blessed by it, even they don't even understand it. Even though they don't even believe it, they are being blessed by it, which was the entire purpose from, from the beginning with the people of Israel. And so there is this sort of awakening that the scriptures are doing to the world, and at some point, the kingdom of God breaks through. However, it looks in the end, Christians have all different kinds of beliefs about eschatology. The point is, there's maybe you've heard the phrase, um, the arc of humanity is long, but it bends towards justice. The Christians are you, it's because of the work of Christ. 
And it's as we understand the point of the scriptures and the points of the law. And instead of following the law, we follow the intention of it all. And as you read the next few passages of scripture, you see Jesus. Um, and he stands up and he says, now you've heard this law. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I say, if you are hating people in your own heart, then you've already broken that law. You've heard it say, you shall not commit adultery. Well, I say, if you're, just, if you're looking at somebody with lust, if you can't, you're not looking somebody in the eye as a human being to be embraced and poured out for and loved. Um, instead, you're looking at another human being as like a piece of flesh or piece of meat to satisfy your fleshly urges or somebody to conquer or somebody to own. You've missed the point of the law entirely. There is a higher way is the point. And then we come to the next passage. And it goes like this, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes, the, uh, relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. So yes, he's affirming the importance of the law. He's affirming that like, yes, it has a point. It was meant to take us somewhere. We're not just going to throw it away. We're going to meditate upon it. We're going to open it up and say, why, is, why was this a law? For the first century, why was it so important for these people not to plant two types of seed in their garden? We don't follow that now. We're way over here looking back. The point of that law is for you now to go back and say, at that point in time, what did this represent? What did this mean? And that is the scholarly work which you should be doing. And when you find that, you're like, oh, and I, I get it, and we've risen above this. Why? Was this a law? Why was this a law? What was, the, what was the intention? Why was this given to the people at this particular time? What did this mean? And what you find is each law was given at a specific time for a specific reason to bring the people to the next place and the next place and the next place. And here we are looking back and Jesus says, and we're going to keep going. It's not about just reading a list of things and saying, I'm going to be good. Um, I'm just going to obey all the rules and you obey all the rules. You know what happens when you obey all the rules? You become an arrogant jerk who looks down on everyone else because they're not obeying the rules. And at that point, there's no point in you obeying the rules because you were just as bad as everyone else. The point is to become the person God intends for you to be, to rise above. Um, It looks like this. There's a high path and a low path. The low path, the low bar is obeying the law, reading the law. This is why I kind of get annoyed when people either ask me or email me and say things like, is it a sin to do this? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this a sin? I'm like, what do you want? Are you trying to just find out what's, not a, what's, what's a sin and what's not a sin so you can just avoid sinning? What does that get you? Does that make you a loving, gracious person who pours yourself out and accomplishes the work of God in this world? No, it just makes you a person who says, I don't sin. Good for you. What about the work of God? What about the kingdom of God in this world? That does nothing for you. There is a higher path pursuing the intention of the laws. There's a reason God gave them to you. Again, the Sabbath is not about, oh, don't work. Be careful not to work. The Sabbath is about, look, I don't have to work and God still loves me. I don't need the law of the Sabbath anymore. Here I am. Love of God showered upon me. I get it. I've risen above. There's a higher road. There is an intention to the laws. And then we come to the, okay, wait. So let me put this sort of, let me, for those of you who are still struggling with this idea, let me put it in today's terms. We have traffic laws. You drove here this morning, um, and there were straight roads, which you could have gone straight. You could have just keep going, but there's a stupid stop sign. And you're like, oh, there's a stop sign. And you stop. You can't do like a rolling stop, like a California stop. You've got to like stop, or you're going to get a ticket. You're gonna, they're going to take your money away from you if you don't stop. And then you, then you drive again. And then as you're driving, there's like a speed limit. You're like not allowed to go faster. I'm like, I have to stop here. My car says it can go here. 
Why wouldn't I do what my car can do? Well, because there's a limit. So there's all these like fences around you, right? And it's super annoying. When you're like, there's a sign that says yield. Ah, why do I have to yield to them? Why can't everyone just yield to me? Just cut in. You're going to get more money taken from you. Um, And just left and right, there's all these laws of telling you, like just stopping you, right? Like you can't have any fun. That's one way to understand the laws. And, and, you know, maybe you can go like five or six over, right? Because like, I'm not really going to get punished for five or six over. Everyone else is doing it, so I can't die. Um, and so like it becomes this game. Again, like I was doing in college and like the scribes were doing in the first century, we tend to default to this game of playing with the laws and seeing what we can get away with. But the question I have for you is why, why were these traffic laws written? Why do they exist? Did somebody really just want to stop you? Did somebody really just want you to like, Go 65? Like, was there somebody like, let's just stop them at 65. I know their car can go like three times that. Let's just stop them there. Um, these laws were written for the flourishing of everyone. They were written so other people can stay healthy and happy so that nobody is harmed. Um, and there is a sense at which when you stop at the stop sign, you could do it with a sense of life and like pulling from a deeper well that says, um, I care about these people. I'm going to obey the traffic signal. And as they go by, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize like that's a human being with loved ones and they're going to their house. And as you hit the gas again, like being thankful that like they're stopping for you as well. Thankful that these laws exist because they're meant to give us something and take us somewhere. Are these laws going to be around forever? No, because eventually we're going to have all self-driving cars and these laws are going to disappear. <laughs> but until then, they're meant to get us somewhere, aren't they? They're meant to preserve us and enlighten us to something higher. Think about that on a biblical scale. And then listen to this next verse. Verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. We know what the scribes did now. We know what the Pharisees did. The scribes are the ones that made all the laws. The Pharisees are the ones that if you could be a Pharisee, you could accomplish the laws. And so again, let's look at this. There are two paths. Which road are the Pharisees on, the scribes and the Pharisees on? They're on the low path. He says, look, if you, if you really want to be a part of what God is doing, if you really want to enter the kingdom of God, by the way, that is, not, that is not a line about the afterlife. That's not a line about heaven when you die, flying, your soul flying away. The, the kingdom of God that Matthew is speaking about is the same one Jesus prays a few passages later from now, paragraph, a few paragraphs down where he says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is where... Um, things are as they should be, where God is ruling and God is in. And so we're praying for the kingdom of God to reign. We are a part of this kingdom now, and we are trying to expand this kingdom and bring a kingdom of peace and justice and mercy and love and salvation, of mending things that are broken, of pouring out for those who need to be filled up. And it says, look, if you want to enter this kingdom of God that is here now, it's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's available to you right now. If you want to be a part of that, then your righteousness must exceed those are the Pharisees and the scribes. There is a higher path. It has nothing to do with reading, is this a sin, is this a sin? Look at me, I didn't sin today. No, this is like, yeah, but what kind of person are you? Are you a judgmental, bigoted, ungrateful, angry person? You can be that. You can be a terrible person and still live by, live by all the laws. He says, but if you want to be a part of what God's doing, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, that, that is spreading in this world and will eventually have its way. If you want to be a part of that, 
Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. It's a higher kind of righteousness. It's a better kind of righteousness. This is not a condemning passage. When I was raised, this was a passage used to condemn people. It's a life-giving passage. It's a, it's a, it's a setting-you-free passage. And you get to a point where you look back and, and you see people trying to obey all the rules and you, and you look at them and they're obeying, like, no, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And you're like, oh, they're like a beginner. I've like exceeded that righteousness. And instead of being prideful and looking down on them and hating them, you, you meet them there and you say, hey, what do you think this, 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 like, is this right or wrong? What do you think it's actually about? What is it trying to accomplish? What is it trying to bring into the world and into your life? Is there something bigger that it's doing? Is it actually trying to expand you and open you up to bigger things? Or is it just something to follow so you don't get punished? Because that's like base level religion crap. We're trying to take part in what God's doing. This is bigger. And your righteousness, if you want to be a part of what God's doing, should exceed that of the Pharisees. I hope somehow this has opened up something for you because after this point, as we get going, Jesus refers to this over and over and over again. You have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I'm saying you shouldn't have hate in your heart to begin with. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying you were looking at people all wrong to begin with. Um, You've heard it said eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and, and then he changes that. You've heard, he's naming laws, and then he's saying, and here's where you should be right now because we received that law 1,800 years ago. You should not still be thinking about it. We should be better and farther along. And so that's what this is. And it's vastly different than what I was handed as a kid. Um, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just my like base-level childish interpretation of things. I know now if I was given an opportunity, what, like, I look back on this, on this school I went to. It was fundamentalist. It was evangelical. But now, actually, if you were to put me into that program, uh, it would probably be really life-giving. Because I'd be like, no distractions. I can just study the Bible all day. Like, nothing else. I can do that. I can, memor- I can spend time memorizing Scripture. And, and there comes a point where, like, that stuff you've thrown out, you actually find importance in it again. And it becomes beautiful again. And you're like, oh man, if I, had, if I was forced now to memorize entire, entire chapters of scripture, that would be amazing. Back then it was meaningless. It meant nothing. And so there should be this like sense that like where you've come from, look back. Has your sanctification moved you ahead? Have you exceeded the baseline righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, are you at a higher place? Do you understand what God is doing? Do you understand what God is doing in your life? Are you awakening to what he has for you to become? And so we're going to take communion. This is the only right response to all of this. Even communion itself, the picture of Jesus on the cross, and we ponder that and we say, why? Why was this the way? Because we find that as we pour ourselves out, other people are filled up. As Jesus was poured out for us on the cross, we find salvation and healing. And then the resurrection points us to like everything can be fixed, no matter how bad it is. Three days in the ground, stinking, smelling, rotting flesh, we can fix that. Resurrection is possible. This can be brought back. And so you look at things and you're like, well, that's hopeless, that's broken. That part of town, um, these kinds of people, those people over there, this situation in the world. No, it's not. Resurrection is real. We believe this can be fixed. Everything is about a bigger thing. Um, and if nothing else, I hope that's what like, your time here with us is revealing to you. Everything is bigger. Um, every breath is, is a bigger gift than you thought it was. Every conversation, every time we gather together, it's a bigger gift 
than anyone thought it was. That's what I've, that's what I've learned over the years here. Um, so our communion servers, come on up and, and take your places. And um, let's take some time in repentance and confession. If you need to talk to somebody, confess some sins. If you want to get some stuff off because you need healing, you need to move forward. Um, we, as Christians, are called the priesthood of the saints. We can hear confessions from each other and we can say, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Nothing, no power of mine, nothing I have done. Just know that you are forgiven and take communion together. If you need prayer through these doors on the left, there's a prayer room there. Um, but take this time, receive the gifts that are there for you. And then, and then come on up, take, commun- take communion. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the wine, eat it. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you. Yes, even you for your healing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for preserving it down through the years. Thank you for what it means for so many of us. Continue to grow us and expand our understanding of you. Continue to uh, um, make us what you intend for us to be. As we now come to the communion table, we bring whatever we have and we receive everything of you, even your life poured out for us. We receive it gratefully and graciously. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen.